everyone. So this is CNC Buhai. I am Coco Creates. And I'm Art of the Cartoon. And this is episode three, our most memorable films in 2019. 2019, end of the year. Yes. So we decided on a whim to do our most memorable films in 2019. Things because, we watched, yes. Because obviously the two of us as a couple, we watch many, as we said in episode one, we do watch a lot of media from television mm-hmm. to movies streaming animation etc etc ironically we actually don't have a lot of streaming services i think we only have hbo and netflix and disney and disney plus recently yeah, disney plus we watch a lot of things together yes but, we do but there are a lot of things that we don't watch together how would you describe some of the stuff that you watch oh well for me i'm more my movies are more genre movies, so you'll find more geeky stuff like, you know, Star Wars, comic books, superheroes, sci-fi, fantasy, those type of things. And for you... And then for me, I tend to get drawn to uh, real life stuff. So I'm more... Not saying that I'm boring, but I do love documentaries in yes. all facets. Mm-hmm. So I, I do end up watching a lot more documentaries than you do. Yes. Uh, but then when our powers combine, we do agree on watching some things together. Mm-hmm. First off, I like writing um, down all the movies that I've seen because I'm crazy like that. Yeah, you, uh, you, you're you really good at documenting what you see. I'm just kind of on a whim. Like, I think I saw this. I think because I was on a mission that each month that I would watch at least one narrative and one documentary. Right. So that was like a goal of mine. But, so, but did you get that goal? Yes, I did actually. It wasn't even. Right. Di- it was the minimum of one narrative and one doc, mm-hmm. and there would be like one month where I watched oh two narratives and three docs. So okay, I had a lot of time on my hands. You got it. Um, so in 2019, surprisingly, I have no comparison, but I I watched about 65 That's a lot. films. That's a lot of films. How many films did you watch? Films and TV in general, because we we were lumping them in. It's probably like 30 to 40. Yeah, you watched 30 to 40. I watched about 65. I'm not even including all the binge watching and the television I've been watching. Right, this was just solely on films, which was 65. But you watched so, reality TV that I And a lot watched. of reality TV. You know, so you need that mind-numbing stuff. Yes. For us, we are both creatives, so we do get inspiration from watching these things. But I think we'll start with honorable mentions. Okay. All right, so what constitutes as an honorable mention for this time? Just something that we want to mention that we thought was entertaining. That was honorable. That was honorable. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Let's start with the first one, which was Dark Crystal, The Age of Resistance. Yes, we totally binged this one. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I think we got done with it within, what, three days? Three I think like days. when we woke up for the next day, we were like, let's watch another one. Let's watch we, another we one. It was, it was really good. It's a series that is based on the older movie by Jim Henson called Dark Crystal. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's an honorable mention, so we're not going to get too much into it, but uh, just watch it for the the puppetry. How many films do you really see that there's actual puppetry? They put back the puppets. If you want your fix of like puppetry and something and fantasy new story, and which, fantasy story, definitely check out Dark Crystal. Which I'll say is really good because you usually don't watch fantasy stories. So for me, it actually engaged me. Let's go into the next, another honorable mention. Which is, we really liked She-Ra and the Princess of Power and... Even though it was mostly season four, the the season numberings are weird for that series. Um, We like the whole series in general. There's a lot of gender non-binary characters. There's a lot of diversity in terms of like girls having different body shapes that I appreciate, ethnicities, and not one notes. They have a lot of different personalities. Mm -hmm. And then we got some other stuff too. For me, an honorable mention, which is a narrative film. I know a lot of people out there 
love this movie, Parasite, but I think it's an honorable mention because there were good things about it, but I felt slightly underwhelmed when I watched it uh, because I think I read articles that were putting it on this high pedestal so I had these high expectations so when I did see it I was like all right it was okay maybe if I rewatch it I might have different feelings but initially or maybe I was in a mood that day when I watched it but who knows Um, but I wasn't really hyped up about it anyway so another honorable mention for me would be this documentary that I stumbled upon on Netflix. It's a documentary called Tell Me Who I Am. This documentary plays around with interviewing two brothers who are twins and their perspective of something that happened to the family. And what was interesting is that the way that it was filmed was was cool and a lot of the bureau was untraditional. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated it because it was very beautiful. Very cool. My one honorable mention that I'm just going to mention is the one I just finished is The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Not going to say too much about it is that Baby Yoda is really cute. There's a reason why Baby Yoda has been so memed, maybe too much. And honestly, The Mandalorian is probably the future of Star Wars. They definitely should move away from the trilogy model. And I think Marvel is doing this too to get more into the miniseries type things. It was a good series. So I'm going to start off that I definitely became part of the trend this year in 2019 of watching documentaries where rich people fail. Mm -hmm. Privileged people. Where privileged people think they're successful, do stupid stuff, they lie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the most memorable films for me were The Inventor, Mm. Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. The film about Elizabeth Holmes, maybe you've heard it on the news and such, where she, you know, with your DNA, with one drop of blood, you can figure out if you have diseases. Uh. I call BS, but how she had this whole huge scam. She wanted to be the next, like, Steve Jobs and such or whatever. She was an interesting character. And to find out that that was real was crazy to me. So it was a down fall of her so you know she is under investigation i remember you watched it as well do you have any thoughts on that i thought i was, I was more enthralled with the 2020 special yes there on, was also the, the 2020 special you know what you're right i did like the 2020 abc version hmm. but the inventor on hbo was, was the a, one was that i catalyst. saw first to me just to find out hearing the interviews of people that worked under her of her company and to find out that it was a whole sham and it really got people to believe in something that was false wow well you deserve because you're not being honest with everything. The documentary, that was more of a film, whereas the 2020 was just more like a news, extended news piece. Yes. Yeah. Talking about another uh, most memorable for a documentary and the downfall of rich people, I think in the beginning of the year, I watched Fire, which was on Netflix. Yes. Not to be confused by the lesser popular one on Hulu called Fire Fraud. We both saw both of those. Both similar, but Fire was freaking awesome. Fire was based on that, I might not do a good job, but involved Ja Rule. For any of you who know, (laughs) um, Ja Rule (laughs) was a rapper in the early 2000s who was a part of it. So, you know, it had that. And he was promoting something similar to like a Coachella. Yes, and, but it was going to be on... And it was going to be on, somewhere in the Bahamas. Right. Long story short, all these influencers and people who had money wanted to go to this, the biggest party of the year. Models were promoting it and it was a whole sham. So when people went to the Bahamas, it was a crazy experience where people couldn't go back on flights. People didn't have a place to sleep. People who were working were like, what's going on there? The yes, it was, was a, a whole... It was just like a piece of bread. A slice of craft cheese or something like that. Yeah. 
So Fire was totally entertaining. And again, to see the downfall of that, the owner, not Ja Rule, but the owner of the person who was like putting it together was such a narcissist. You know, he didn't think that he did anything wrong. So yeah. that's kind of nutty that there are people out there like that and they're okay with that. And, and, and to see that they're not getting accountability or wanting to have that accountability, mm. it's like karma is a busy people. So that was just like a, a good reminder watching some of these ducks that I would never want to be in their shoes, but at the same time, time it's about how you treat people at the end of the day follow and up more. follow do you okay. think do you think we're giving too much power to these people and privilege that we're highlighting these really entertaining talks about them no but you know what what's that i know you say i see what you're getting there that yeah. we're actually highlighting them even more which is counterintuitive and hypocritical a lot of things are hypocritical of course what i valued about these two docs is that they interviewed the people who suffered the most mm-hmm not the rich kids in the freaking fire thing, but like when they talked about the worker. Like, remember the one woman who was the owner of the bar? Yeah, the restaurant. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to hear her perspective and her voice and some of the other yeah. um, well, the, employees who were there. I love that. And Good then point. even the Silicon Valley one, it was they had NDA things. They couldn't say anything, no, but they were like, screw there. it. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to say something. No, for the folks who were just trying to make a living. So that was empowering to me. So that's why. I... Got it. Okay. That totally makes sense to me. Okay. Okay. For me, one of um, favorites, this was a TV series. Uh, appeared on HBO, which I'm going to be quite honest, I didn't think was going to be that good originally, is Watchmen, which you didn't watch. I so. don't know what Watchmen is. I know it's a comic. It is a comic. Uh, it was, um, one of, I think, one of the most influential graphic novels the New York Times wrote, written originally by, by Alan Moore and with art by Dave Gibbons. It was kind of um, a deconstruction of like superheroes, like what would they really be like in our society with the backdrop of like the Cold War in the 80s. And that's when it was. And so, and then Zack Snyder did a film, I think it was back in 2008. And uh, the film was fine, but it wasn't the greatest. And there's a reason why Alan Moore has stated, and a lot of people have stated that you really, it's this, this story is meant to be a comic book and it really can't be translated into another medium. And that's why I was really skeptical of the Watchmen series on HBO. But I think they, they really, in terms of the story that they made in terms of Watchmen, and this was a story that could only be made as like a mini series. And just like the comic book, it explored um, themes of gritty reality of like, what would it be like to really have a superhero live in this world? And then the real big issue that they tackled instead of like the Cold War, like back in the 80s was... They were tackling like racism and white supremacy, hmm. which is really, which is really interesting how they dealt with that in terms of like superheroes and people with masks. So it was more than like a comic sh- series show. It had more depth to it than like Supergirl or any of those shows on CW. Oh yeah, it definitely had it d- definitely had more depth. The creator of the show was Damon Lindelof of Leftovers and Lost fame. That in itself could be problematic because Lost, even though it was a beloved series, I don't think a lot of people didn't think it ended well, and there was a lot of mysteries. I feel like people, some people, d- did love the. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I was fine with the ending. I liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes these series introduce a lot of questions, and then they don't really pay it off. I think. Lindelof has really learned from his days from, say, Leftovers and Lost, and that there was a lot of interesting concepts that were introduced in the first couple episodes that, you know, actually were paid off towards the end. I mean, it did fall off a little bit towards the end because it did, you eventually had to go back into your comic book roots and really talk about 
Watchmen. But to really have that backed up of racism, and, and it was really subtle on what, how they talked about it. I mean... It was unforced. It was unforced. Like, mm. When you start off your series with a recreation of Black Wall Street, and I think because of the series, that's the reason why so many people got interested in Black Wall Street and just the mass genocide of, mm. you know, of African Americans, I think is really powerful. And at the same time, like, to have... And just to read interviews, like, he knows he's, like, a white guy that is in charge of this really heavy text and to really honor the material and to make something that you could I could only see it in like a miniseries and it's one of those things where I I even though there's a lot of people talking about a sequel like a season two I hope there isn't because I think it ended just like the graphic novel and ended on like a, a little bit of a question that really doesn't need to be answered also <laughs> Regina King's standout performance in that I do know Regina King, not personally, but yeah. remember her from Poetic Justice. Yes. Yeah, that's great to see like an older uh, middle-aged woman be in some kind of comic thing because that's very rare that you see that. Mm -hmm. It's usually like younger folks. Yeah, it goes through the questions like, why do you put on the mask? And what's the mm -hmm. reason behind that? And what if somebody actually did... There's... The funny thing about this world is there's really only one person that has super... That has powers. Everybody else is just a person with a mask. And so I'm, like, I'm just going to leave it at that. It was a really good series for me watch cool all right let me go to my next one another memorable film documentary of course was knock down the house this is on netflix you can't not watch it if you're a fan of alexandria ocasio cortez or I like to call aoc she's freaking amazing yes. Um, to see her journey, how she is like, you know, an organizer. She used to work at a bar. See her journey and you don't know that there was an inherent tension already of people voting and seeing if she was going to win the race or not. Mm -hmm. Of somebody who's been an incumbent for many, many years and was corrupt. And it was interesting how she got there in, not in the means of uh, corporate money or in corrupt money. She did it with power of the people. So, and of course she got money in terms of investing for her campaign and such, but in a different way. Right. Gra more grassroots and organizing, a community organizing way. And there were other women too. There were like other fierce women who were normal women who really, really wanted things to change in their community. And it pushed them wanting to win these elections. Not everyone won in the movie, but it was interesting to highlight those storylines. Knock Down the House totally is something that I actually would watch again. Or if, even if AOC did her own movie that would be or series would be totally interesting for my taste because I think for a lot of us we are so desensitized uh, looking at things on CNN or on the news what's happening in, in yes because you the usually avoid anything politics yeah because it's like very anxiety ridden there are these powers that be are just loosey-goosey whatever and, and, and to me, like, it, it gives me a lot of worry. But when I see things like that, to see that there are dope people out there who are really trying to do their thing and to make change, which I'm about, I could support that. It gave hope at the end of the tunnel. AOC is amazing. Just to see how amazing of a person she is, not just in her political life, but also outside of that was endearing. No, I think the one, I mean, because I remember seeing this too, was the one the scene where she found out she won against the incumbent. Mm -hmm. Where, you know... It was raw, her emotion. It was. She gets the work done. Even to see her now, she was like, you know, I'm elected. I got to make every moment count. But she also like embraces having work-life balance and having moments to herself too, which is important. And it was like non-stereotypical too. You know, you don't have to play this political game of kissing someone's booty to get to where you need to go to, to bring change. Right. I think that if a lot of young people saw it, it would be a cool movie for them to watch. No, I think it's a good primer to watch especially for the upcoming election in mm -hmm. 2020 mm -hmm. for me the next 
thing as I think is the biggest movie of all time is Avengers Endgame. There's a lot to be said in this movie, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. I don't know if we're ever going to see a movie like this ever again. This was the culmination of 22 prior movies, and I think the way that the Russo brothers just handled every strand, it was a super entertaining movie, even though it clocked in at over three hours long. Wow, I'm surprised I sat through that. But I I, I thought Avengers was uh, entertaining. So I think this year really brought home how hard it is to end things. We were split on how Game of Thrones ended. The Skywalker series, we just did a podcast on how that ended. A lot of series just kind of fall off towards the end. And it was just a nice entertaining way to end these series. Obviously, Marvel's going to keep on going and making films. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they're going to have all these other series. Like, they have the Black Widow film. Right. Eternals. They have the one with the Asian... Shang-Chi. Yes. Yeah. So how are they going to bring in the new cast of characters? It's a hard act to follow. I I can't think of another movie event that was... It was like a global hit. Everybody was talking about it. The reason we saw it so early was because we knew it was going to be spoiled within a matter of hours. That's true. I can't believe I sat through that. It was three plus... It was three plus hours. And after that, we we drove all the way to Tahoe after that. Yeah, that's true. It's fascinating that a movie like that, or a franchise like that, Mm -hmm. could bring so many walks of life together for a movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's it's something that a lot of other studios try to do in that they're trying to bring, like, the TV model, like, different individual episodes and make it into an entire arc, but this was the one that, that stuck. Honestly, I think a lot of people were thinking this was going to be a disaster, and it turned out to be pretty entertaining. So my next memorable film, we have a lot to go through. I just want to mention this one because, one, I think not a lot of people have watched it. I don't even know... If I saw it on Netflix, I forget where I saw it, but it was definitely online. It was another documentary. This one is called Perfect Bid, The Contestant That Knew Too Much. For those out there, uh, this doc is about this one contestant on The Price is Right. Yes. It was an interesting story because I didn't hear about it before. A lot of docs are usually serious. Usually, sometimes they can be trauma-ridden as well. Mm. This one was just plain entertaining. So the story goes, the perfect bid is that he at the end, uh, when you bid on the, I forget what it's called, showcase. but on the showcase, right, you got to do your estimate or whatever. And this guy, he hit it right on, he hit it right on. And it was an obscure number. How are you going to be like, let hypothetically, let's say 24,755, you know, usually people are like 30,000 or 35,000 or right, whatever they, it may be. Right. Yes. So he was bought on, and then he did win, honestly, right? Mm-hmm. The producers thought, there's no way in heck that this guy got it exactly, exactly right. right. Mm-hmm. Because what happens, too, is if you get it exactly right or under a certain amount, like if you are within like a thousand, you get both showcases. So, you know. But he hit it perfectly, correct? Yes, he got it perfectly, and then there was this whole controversy or news articles and such, or producers acu- being accusatory, saying that he cheated. But in all honesty, he was just this dude that like watched Prices Right, loved Prices Right, was online to be in the audience. He watched it so much that he knew the prizes, he knew the prices, he knew everything about it. Mm. Maybe a little bit too much. Maybe he was a little bit obsessively compulsive about it. That's the name of the, the, the documentary? Yeah, this gentleman was able to like to to accuse somebody for knowing that much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was extraordinary without knowing the details about him. It's like, dude, he's been going, been in the audience for years. Kind of makes sense that he knew how to do it. Right. He knew how to win. It was fun. Yeah. Let's get into some of the things that we both watched then that yes. we wanted to highlight. 
that we saw in 2019. Yep. The first one that we that really was strong and powerful for both of us was When They See Us, which was a miniseries by Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay, who can't go wrong. Yes. <laughs> Amazing director, Based on writer. the Central Park Five. Central Park Five, story of... Five young people, young black men, right. who were accused of raping a jogger in Central Park in New York City. Highly publicized. They were all underage, I think, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But this was a narrative version of it. Yes. So this was this was the doc. This was the narrative version, and in a sense, the imagery and just the way that Ava DuVernay presented this story, I think it was powerful in that usually for a Netflix series me and you will will binge watch like an episode or two Mm -hmm. the first episode was like so powerful and moving and like I think we had to think about what we just saw and process the thoughts that we have and that probably the anger that we had yeah that we had to take a couple days before we actually went back to the series yeah I remember watching when they see us and we knew what to expect too because we saw yeah and the thing we we saw the documentary I knew the story but to see it in a narrative way and then again it's a series so it was definitely an emotional roller coaster. Yes. To the point that we did need to take breaks because you all those emotions did happen mm-hmm. from feeling angry, confused, what the f, and really thinking even more so because it was true or based on something that was true. Yeah, I'm pretty sure some liberties were taken, but in the same time, like I think the essence, the of essence that, is totally the essence the same. was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tension between the New York Police Department, parents, yes, and the kids, teenagers. Yes. There's a lot of drama in there, and that's just saying it lightly. What was great is that it wasn't just calling the Central Park Five; mm. it was totally humanizing the these men and the their family. Yeah. Mm. And the title alone is just in your face when they see us. I think that was a great choice of a title for mm-hmm. the series. I think the most memorable scene was probably Corey's. The actor who played Corey played him throughout from teenage years to adulthood. Mm-hmm. That arc was amazing and it's highly emotional, especially when you, that scene when he was in jail and he was in solitary confinement. Yes. So our next film would probably be The Farewell by Lulu Wang. Mm-hmm. I believe this was Aquafina's starring role because usually she's more in a support role for movies. Aquafina being the main character yes. of this Asian American woman who visits her grandma. And to see her in a different type of a film that wasn't comedic. No, it was definitely it was more serious. You could still tell tell it was it was Aquafina. It's still Aquafina being Aquafina, but like a more serious light and definitely a different tone that we usually that we don't usually see from her. And I think like what was really great was that it was a well-depth story between a young woman and her grandmother. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that. I remember when we were watching it, there was someone next to me who was crying. Yeah. You know, maybe it hit home a little bit. But uh, it was great. I love the grandma. She was awesome. The grandma was awesome. (laughs) And I think it really encapsulated how certain cultures deal with death, right? Yeah, because it's not always a westernized point of view. Right. And her struggle, too, because she's coming from the United States, mm-hmm. um, Aquafina's character, and, like, not understanding why. And I feel like for a lot of us who are Asian-American, we feel like we're maybe not Asian enough or not American enough. Yes. So you're stuck in, in that in-between. So I think that's why we both like The Farewell, because it did resonate with us a little bit more so, too, because it's actually telling a story that a lot of us feel. Mm, I agree. One thing, though, I did notice The Farewell, there's been controversy 
about it because it was nominated for a Golden Globe in the foreign film category. Okay, so that opens up the the discussion in which does a film constitute as a foreign film just because it has X amount or percentage of dialogue being in a different language? Yeah, I, I think they just didn't know how to classify this movie. Yeah, I call it BS on that. <laughs> it's definitely BS on that. We love The, fi- the Farewell. Yes, well, I think both of us have already waxed poetic on Jumanji about how much we like Aquafina. Yeah, we love you, Aquafina. Yeah. If you happen to hear this. <laughs> okay, so we got two more left. Uh, one of our most favorite films. I would say this was, this, I think, well, this one's my top. I don't know if it's yours. No, it's definitely my top as well. I think uh, to the point that I'm, I might want to buy the DVD for us. DVD or Blu-ray? DVD, Blu-ray. Same yeah, thing, right? Same thing. So the, my, my top film of 2019 is uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Not because we live in the Bay Area. I mean, it helps that we live <laughs> in the Bay Area. It definitely does. Yes, directed by Joe Talbot. I thought it had a great mix of having social commentary, the film look of an independent film. It definitely felt like an independent film. The characters in it were nuanced mm. and complicated. Yes. And... I loved it. I feel like I want to watch it again, for sure. Yeah. Definitely touches upon the themes of gentrification and like a changing city and like your sense of belonging in that city as it's changing. Sense of belonging and wanting to fight to stay. Right. And also with identity and there were so many different threads that were going on. It was kind of like super thought provoking, uh, especially the house itself and the one. The house itself, I think. Well, is there were two car- houses, but the main house of like that choice to have it the way that it looks mm-hmm. was amazing. I think one of my most memorable scenes, I don't know if you remember it, when one of the characters was on the skateboard and going down the hill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Yes. Because I was also thinking, how the heck did they film that? But yes. <laughs> also, the music was, was amazing. Yes. Maybe it added that we liked it even more so because when we saw it, the screening, cast members and crew members were there. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned how indie it was because they rallied together as friends that they wanted to really make this film. All right. And how do you want to end this out? Yeah, we wanted to end this out on our last memorable film of the year on a less serious like note. A light note. A light note. A light note. fun note. The all-star of 2019 that we did not expect was, drumroll please, Uh, Always Be My Maybe, which was a Netflix original starring Ali Wong and Randall Randall Park. Park. Always Be My Maybe. Oh, start singing. <laughs> uh, not to be confused with uh, Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby. Yeah. A really fun, hilarious rom-com yeah. that me and you can relate to about freaking time that there is an Asian-American romantic comedy based in the United States. Mm-hmm. So many things that were just so lovely in the film. One thing that maybe stood out for me was definitely Keanu Reeves in it. Ali Wong, Randall Park. Hilarious. It was hilarious. We can relate to. What did you like about it? One, I don't usually... I'm not usually big into rom-coms. That's and a fact. That it is. <laughs> I, I will watch them, but, you know, usually I'll end up like, hey, yeah, that's a rom-com. This one, it was definitely a rom-com, but because it ha- it was had two Asian leads, Asian-American leads, I think I really related. And 
um, especially since they grew up in the 90s. Yeah, you loved fun. it so much, you even like, hey, there's a, there's a playlist of the songs. I'm like, what? Okay, so, usually on Netflix, when the credits roll, there's an automatic, they will, they will turn off the sound, and then they'll be like, playing next, or recommended that you should watch this. They made sure that you listened to that sound, that, that song at the end. Do you remember what the song was? Yeah, I punched Keanu Reeves. Oh, I punched Keanu Reeves. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that's why this is such a lighthearted movie because there's so many puns. It's amazing. I knew that people that don't normally watch these type of movies it's because of Keanu Reeves. We're totally watching this movie. Ali Wong is having a great year. Kudos to them uh, for always being my maybe. I Start wonder watching. in the future if it would be a culty film. It might be a culty film. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I, I will definitely say it's one of the films that had the best celebrity playing themselves. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so always be my baby. So that's it for our 2019 most memorable films. There was a we lot could, of things we could we did, mention, we but didn't we didn't mention. But these are the ones that just come to mind. Thank you for listening to us. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. Have an amazing 2020. Yay. Yay. Happy New Year.